0: Welcome to our second episode of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. My name is Dustin Smith, and we are joined by Neil Shulman, the founder and managing editor of InAllKindsOfWeather.com, as well as key contributor Casey Hampton. As a quick reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at DustinTheNow. You can also follow Neil at AllKindsWeather, and you can follow Casey at C. Hampton 85. Our main topic tonight will be how exactly COVID-19 has impacted and could continue to impact Gator football. And the short answer is in a lot of different ways. And we will get into that very shortly. First, though, we have some news to share about some guests we booked on future episodes of this podcast. The first guest that we have will be none other than former Florida all-American offensive lineman, Shannon Snell, who is going to talk about some of the racial tensions that we've seen in our country. You guys might know him for his impact in the local Gainesville and North Florida community with what he's done with Relationship Ribs and Sonny's Barbecue. The guy's incredible, and he has an incredible story. And we're going to have a conversation with him that will go beyond sports And we couldn't be more excited to have him on. Our second guest is a little bit more controversial. He will be none other than former Kentucky linebacker Cash Daniel. Yes, you heard me right. This is the Cash Daniel that made headlines for twisting Kyle Trask's ankle. I'm sure by now everybody knows that Neil and Cash went at it on Twitter (laughs) earlier this week.
1: He asked for it. and I mean, look. I'm, I'm just maybe not the guy you want to use Aaron Hernandez as some sort of depraved bragging right against. I just have zero tolerance for that.
0: Neil, you, you kind of went after him pretty viciously, but our main objective here is to be fair. And in the interest of fairness, we've decided to have Cash come on and let him tell his side of things. To be very clear, that doesn't mean we'll agree with his side and it doesn't mean we're cool with what he did, but... We're going to hear him out, we're going to listen to his story, and we're going to let you guys be the judge and make up your own minds, so stay tuned for that. As for tonight's episode, we have to begin by touching on a couple of less than ideal circumstances uh, these past few days in the Gator Nation, and the first of these is the sudden death of Rache Caldwell. As many of you know, he was a phenomenal wide receiver for the Gators during the twilight years of the Steve Spurrier era, helping Florida to an SEC title in 2000 and was part of perhaps the greatest Gator team not to win a championship in 2001. He was ambushed outside his house by multiple people who shot him right on his own property. And unfortunately, moments later, he died in the ambulance. So Casey and Neil... um, Obviously, it's hard to even discuss these things without kind of being choked up. Um, can I get your thoughts on this situation?
1: Yeah, it's just a sad, sad, sad situation. He was one of the first Gator players I grew up watching. I was 5, 6, and 7 when he played for Florida, and now I'm 26 years old, and he's gone. And it's still a bit of a shock. And we're recording this on Wednesday night, and you guys will hear it Friday morning. Uh I guarantee you guys that by the time this hits the public, it'll still be just as much of a shock to me. It's really not fair for us to sit here and talk in great detail about what a great person he was because obviously I didn't know him and that's not really fair to him, but what's been awesome to see is all his former teammates coming out and publicly expressing their sorrow. He he really had an impact on a lot of different people and I know he wasn't a perfect person. I'm not going to pretend that he was. He definitely made some mistakes in his life, but he obviously did enough good for his ex-teammates to talk about him in such a glowing manner and talk about all the the brightness that he brought into their lives. And that obviously extends beyond just the playing field. And that's how you can really learn about who someone is or was by how others are left impacted by him. So just a very sad week in Gator Nation for sure.
2: You know, he was one of uh, somebody, I was a little older than Neil, you know, I was in my sophomore, junior high school and he was somebody that, uh, was electric on the field, especially in the fun and gun offense. He was just fun to watch. He clearly had a great camaraderie with his teammates. I remember when they carried Spurrier off the field in two thousand on on their shoulders. Uh, he was right in the middle of it, you know. And in two thousand one, he had an incredible year. That year, uh, he had almost eleven hundred yards, and ten touchdowns, and only sixty five receptions. I mean, to just just let that sink in his his ability on the field. Almost 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns on only 65 touches. It's just an incredible testament to who he was on the field. I don't know him off the field, so I can't I can't speak to that. But it's striking um, that you know somebody that reaches the pinnacle of success. Sure, the NFL career may not have panned out um, in the way that we all, and I'm sure he would have hoped it to be, but he certainly reached the pinnacle of his success. It's just tragic and very sad and, you know, definitely offer thoughts and prayers to the Caldwell family.
1: I'll say this about him on the field. He was one of, if not the best at running the seven route on the route tree that I've seen in my entire life. And his last year at Florida was in 2001. So that means that I've watched nearly two decades worth of college football since his departure, and I've yet to see someone run that corner out with more precision or more Christmas than Rache Caldwell. Yeah. Well, and
2: you know, looking at his NFL career, I mean, he definitely it it certainly, like I said, did not make it to the level maybe that he would have wanted it to, but he made it to the NFL, and not everybody can do that. Um, and Neil, I'll second that, um, he, he, had an incredible and an electric ability on the field to make plays that you didn't think could happen. My favorite play was in October of 2000, Georgia, in one of their many years that they thought that they could come to Jacksonville and beat Spurrier, um, 2000 when we won 34 to 23. I just remember him running down the sidelines and he turned around looking at the bulldog defenders. And it was just one of those moments like "Got you, dogs. So uh, it just, uh, he, he was electric on the field and definitely again, offer thoughts and prayers uh, for peace for the Caldwell family, for Bubba and all the rest of the Caldwells.
1: Yeah. That's actually a great idea. Favorite play for Shays. Um, so for me, it would have to be his 30 yard touchdown reception to put the game away against georgia in 2001 florida had been self-destructing all day but they were clearly the better team and despite all their self-inflicted wounds they were still winning 17-10 in the fourth quarter when they were driving down the field and rex grossman just threw a laser right down the middle of the field on a post route caldwell caught it and the defender who was trying to guard him slipped and fell down and caldwell just jumped over his prostrate body and it was just the perfect imagery of that day Florida being above Georgia literally and figuratively and in the SEC standings because of that play
2: I mean I, and, I, I remember that I mean that was it, it was a bomb but if a bomb could be a dime at the same right, time exactly. I mean it was like it just perfectly floated into his hand I remember watching that um I think it was just one of those moments where you just laugh
1: yeah, I mean it just perfectly embodied what was happening between the white lines that day in Jacksonville. Florida was clearly the better team, and you know, someone had to step up and put the dogs away, and Rashe Caldwell did that. And, and he couldn't have possibly done it with more perfect imagery than just hopping over a bulldog lying flat on the ground. Yeah. Agreed.
0: Wow. Man, just hear you guys discuss plays that uh, that Caldwell – was a part of man it just it just brings it brings him more to more to reality that he's he's not here anymore, anymore. hey
1: dustin sorry you know what i just thought of this let's honor rache caldwell by holding a 17 second moment of silence in his memory caldwell wore number 17 for the gators and let's honor him by muting ourselves and just having 17 seconds of dead air to
0: honor the memory of rache caldwell Rest easy, Roche.
1: Yep, seconded. Rest in eternal paradise, Roche.
0: Uh, certainly my thoughts and prayers are with the Caldwell family. And it, It's it's certainly hard to move on from a topic like that, but uh, another item of less than good news, uh, and we'll, we'll just leave it at that, less than good news, is the redirection of Florida signing Johnny Brown to Juco. The problem with this is, this is this seems to be a continued pattern of Gator signees that leave before their first game so my question for both both you guys Neil and Casey is this something that you guys are alarmed by you know I don't I don't
1: really know if alarm is the right word I think it's a little too strong in this case uh, because I'm not hitting the panic button right now I'm not even getting up to go get the panic button and bring it over to my desk to have it handy but this is the point in time where I'm looking to call a timeout because this does have to be addressed Mullen is developing a pattern of not getting his signees to suit up on game day at some point or another between national signing day and game one the following September he's had a lot of signees fall off the tracks and not make it R.J. Henderson didn't make it. Grades. Diave Hammond didn't make it. Grades. D1 Black didn't make it. Grades. Now, granted, he will be here in 2021 and he will have three years of eligibility, but he signed in 2019 and did not make it to campus in 2019, so that does count. Jalen Jones did some horrible things, got himself rightfully ejected from the program. He didn't make it. Justin Watkins did some horrible things of his own got himself rightfully ejected from the program. He didn't make it. Isaiah Walker got homesick, transferred back to Miami. He didn't make it. Chris Steele, missed his mommy and daddy, transferred back to his hometown in Los Angeles. He didn't make it. Now, let me just make sure that my positions are clear here. One, Mullen is not to blame for all of these. I mean, things like Wardrick Wilson having problems with his visa is obviously out of Mullen's control. Chris Steele was probably, I don't know all the details, but I'm I'm willing to believe that that was out of Mullen's control. And of course, Mullen cannot police every single player's every step. To ask him to do so is just ludicrous. I totally get that. And I also want to convey my understanding, my total understanding, that to a certain extent, this happens at every school. Everyone's got to deal with this to some degree. When you recruit top-tier 16, 17-year-old athletes, this is just bound to happen. But we're midway through Mullen's third offseason now, and we're already flirting with double digits in the attrition column. If Johnny Brown was the first or second or even third signee to not make it to game day in Mullen's three recruiting classes, I'm not even batting an eye here. And I just say, yeah, it happens. Eh, move on, whatever, replace him. But now we're talking about this happening at a clip of multiple kids per cycle. So it is becoming worth addressing. Now, again, it's not panic time, it's not time to hit the alarm. It's just, you know, time out, time out. No need to go full Matt Baker on him here, but let's just take a step back for a second. Let's regroup. What's going on here? How and why does this keep happening? Do we not do our due diligence when we recruit the kids? Do we just keep getting bad information on them? How do we stop this from happening every year? Let's just get this addressed and taken care of because this is not fatal, but it is no longer something that we can ignore. So I'm going to defer
2: to take Casey um, with this because uh, I work in higher education um, and I have worked significantly with uh, student athletes. And at some point, the student has to be responsible for their own choices and for their own academics. This is something that I'm pretty passionate about. I believe in personal responsibility. And just looking at what uh, Tate Casey has said and what Ahmad Black has said on Twitter and other players, you know, Ahmad Black uh, said, maybe the person who takes the tests and do the homework and the quizzes, how could you even start to blame someone else for his own grades? Tate Casey, you're a student athlete. Are we really going to act like this is on the staff, not getting him qualified? At some point, high school guys need to realize that if they want it badly enough, They have to get it done off off the field. If not, it just becomes an adversity and a little longer road back to D1. Now, I will say that adults need to be responsible as well. Somebody on the U.S. staff needs to probably keep up a little bit more. But we also need to instill personal responsibility in these young men that if you're struggling, you need to ask for help and you need to let somebody know early. Um, Because if you're going to be on a team, you need to be able to ask for help. And if you don't ask for help, then why are you on a team in the first place? I get it that they're 16, 17-year-old young men. I get that. And I respect that. And that's where UF staff probably needs to play more of a role in the academic development and the academic progress of their recruits. And looking at uh, D1 Black and looking at now Johnny Brown, it looks like, with academic issues. But it also is incumbent, incumbent upon the student athlete because, again, we talk about these, these young men as players, but really they are student athletes. You have a responsibility in the classroom. That is, your first, that is your responsibility first and foremost. We can all be Gators. We can all be Gator football fans, but these young men are there to get an education and a degree, and at some point they need to take ownership of their academic future and their academic profile to move forward with that.
1: See, I'd be much more sympathetic to that argument if it was happening, you know, once a year or two times every three years or so. Again, the concern is with the frequency with which this is happening. Like I said, it's going to happen anywhere. You know, it happens at Clemson, it happens at Ohio State. Guys don't qualify academically, they have to go to Juco. Or the guy does something terrible off the field, gets himself kicked off. It's not just. At Florida that this happens, it's that it's happening at this rate at Florida that leaves me with the concern. So I'll agree with you to that to an extent. If you're looking
2: at, and again, the staff has clearly a lag with this, and that's, that's absolutely the case. But if we're looking at the top 10 public universities in the country, according to U.S. News and World Report, UCLA, UC Berkeley, Michigan, Virginia, Georgia Tech, north carolina uc santa barbara university of florida university of california irvine uc san diego how many of those are football powerhouses michigan i guess i guess you could say what i'm saying is the academic standards are higher at a place like florida and i think the staff needs to be aware of that when they're recruiting they probably need to hire more academic um, coordinators and academic progress coordinators hey, Scott Strickland, if you're listening, I definitely would love a job from you. But um, it, it Florida needs to be more attuned and aware of where students are. I, I will agree with you. that. But the students also need – if you're failing a class – Neil, how many times are you failing a class and you didn't tell your
1: mom that you were failing a class? And if you tell me you never failed a class, I'm going to – I mean, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry to ruin your metaphor there, but – also, I do want to point out we're not just talking academics here. Academics was the reason for this defection. Also included in this problem are Justin Watkins, Jalen Jones, you know Chris Steele, uh, Isaiah Walker, you know four different guys for non-academic reasons. So I'm I'm concerned with the entire pattern. There are different sub. Problems you can identify within the issue of guys defecting from the program before game one. But I'm looking at the big picture here, and the totality of it is what concerns me. Agreed. So that's
2: a Agreed. If you take away the academics, there's absolutely a gap within the U.S. player development and player support system. Absolutely, 100%, there's a gap there, and you will not get any um, dispute from me there. But Um, Moving on from that, Neil, um, I want to talk about uh, COVID-19 and how it has intruded on Gator football. and it's, It's something that we don't know a lot about right now. We don't know how it's going to affect the football season. I know if you're reading any online news source, you can get a variety of different solutions and topics and ideas and rumors. I know Ole Miss this week released a statement to their boosters that said that they had every intention of filling up bought Hemingway stadium for every game this year. So as of right now, things appear to be slowly starting to get back to normal. Thankfully, uh, I live here in Georgia and we are at fifty percent And I know Neil lives in the Northeast uh, and Dustin lives in central Florida. So uh, every state's moving along, but the football players are starting to filter back onto college campuses. And thankfully today we saw the headline that, Uh, No UF player has tested positive for COVID-19, so it's something to be very thankful for. Uh, So, Neil, I know you're friendly with some of the players and you talk to them a lot. Um, Why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit more about how they're staying in shape to this
1: point? Sure. So up to this point, the players have been doing home workouts on their own, and they've been doing it via FaceTime with workout partners whose schedules mesh with theirs so that they can sort of visually spot one another and push each other. The players that I'm friendly with all say the same thing, and that essentially is, look, this isn't the same thing that we're used to. We're not going to pretend like it is, but it's the situation that we've been dealt, and we have to work with it. The mindset that these players seem to have is that they want to be the team that deals with the pandemic the best. They've sort of equated it to playing a game with bad weather, or where the temperature is 4 degrees, or 104 degrees, in that the situation absolutely sucks, but that A, There's nothing they can do about it, and B, it's a level playing field because it absolutely sucks for everyone else, too. And the guys I talked to all pointed out that sooner or later, the team was going to get back together. And at that point, it would become pretty clear if anybody had been slacking off. So there's a communal feeling of, I don't want to let my teammates down. Everybody, let's pull our weight, and let's be ready to go again when we reunite. And I definitely
2: think we're in a really good place as a program versus a team like Georgia that has to replace a lot of their starters. And versus LSU, which has um, a lot of attrition to replace as well after their run last year. So i like to think that we are in a good place with a lot of returning starters and some leadership. And obviously the MVP, if you listen to our previous iteration of this podcast, Nick Savage is the MVP of the Florida football program, in my opinion. We're I, I think we're in a better place than a lot of other schools could be.
1: Yeah, totally. No one in their right mind is gonna say that this pandemic was a good thing because it very clearly is not and you don't have to look very far to see evidence of that. But relatively speaking, this is much worse for LSU, who loses a lot from last year, Georgia, who loses a lot from last year, FSU, who has a new coach and you know trying to rebuild its offensive line after it was among the worst offensive lines I've ever seen in the last couple of years. Florida's in a much better position than their rivals right now, all of them, and they're in a much better position than most schools in the country simply because they return a lot of guys who were part of the successes of the last couple of years. They lose a lot at receiver, but pretty much everywhere else, most of the starting guys are back. So this is their year to do it, pandemic or not, the players know, no excuses, this has to be the year they make a run.
2: A- agreed, if they're going to make a run, this is the year they have to do it.
1: And and this isn't to be the over-demanding fan who always goes out of his way to say, well, Florida should win a national title every year because I said so and I won it. No, this is simply to point out that for all the disruptions that the pandemic is causing, Florida's success on the field this year should not be something that falls in that category.
0: Yeah, it, it's certainly going to be super interesting to see how it all plays out. I completely agree. I'm excited that the Gators have quite a few uh, leaders coming back. And I think it's very important that Kyle Trask is coming back, especially since spring football was non-existent for college football this year. And being a former high school quarterback, I played backup at my high school. The, the spring install period was probably one of the most important practice sessions of the season. So for for programs that are breaking in new quarterbacks such as Georgia and their incoming potential starter in Jamie Newman, I think it's going to be very hard for them. And last thing I'm going to add to that is I, I could be completely wrong. Please correct me, Casey and, and Neil, but being, being in the state of Florida and seeing how the general vibe of the state of Florida has been, it seems fairly different than a lot of other states. Maybe it's maybe it's a negative on 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 the part of florida and maybe how careless we've been or, or maybe it's a positive thing you know I, I fully anticipate that the that the swamp will be uh, filled with fans now the the debate of how many fans we're going to have remains to be seen i'm going to i'm going to quickly post that question to you guys um how many fans will we have in the swamp this season it's it's way too
1: early to know that definitively but I will say that UF certainly seems to be moving forward under the assumption that they're going to have 90,000 fans in the Swamp for every home game. Now, whether that happens or not, I don't know. We're going to find out. It could be that they're just planning for that because there's a lot that goes into having 90,000 people come to your stadium on a Saturday afternoon and you got to plan for it quite in advance, whereas planning to have no fans requires no planning. But it it does seem that they appear to be planning to have fully packed swamp in the fall.
2: I think that's a question we should probably answer later on in the summer, um, just because I, I don't know. You know, you hear about a second wave and then you see the social justice protests that are going on this week and some people wearing masks and some aren't. I don't know. I I I don't, and I don't know if Neil can tell you. Um, I know that I was in Central Florida visiting my brother and my nieces a few weeks ago, and things were slowly starting to open. So I definitely think Florida is on the the forefront to opening faster than some other places. So I would not be surprised if we have more fans in the stadium than some other states and other teams do. I'm not going to give you a number. Neil may differ, but I don't know. I don't know how this is going to look, but I'm. I will feel comfortable saying that I think Florida is going to have more people. The state of Florida, so um, all the teams: Florida, Florida State, Miami, South Florida, Central Florida, are going to have more fans in the stands, uh, and maybe FAU may go out there and hashtag do something with their new coach.
1: Well, that's not really a fair comparison because an empty stadium for Miami is what's normal for them. <laughs> I mean, if it turns out that everyone in the state of Florida has to play an empty stadium. Just I mean, like they Miami. won't notice any difference because nobody <laughs> ever goes to games. Yeah, you're just going to go ahead and intercept my line. Thanks, Casey.
0: Anytime, pal. Anytime.
1: First back and forth between Casey
0: and I on the new podcast, Milestone Achieved. You know, if, if, they, if it does come out that, that stadiums can only have 50%, we all know that FSC won't have any problem doing that one. <laughs> well, they've, they've,
2: they've had trouble the last few years in getting to have. 50% of the win total.
1: That's actually somewhat of a misleading statement, Casey, because to say that they had trouble getting to 50% in the win total implies that they actually did get to 50% in the win total. And in the, in the last two years, they didn't do it. So let's not give them more credit than they've actually earned here. That
2: would be trouble doing that, <laughs> help. No.
1: <laughs> no but see that's not what I'm saying they didn't have trouble getting to 50% in the win total because they didn't get to 50% in the win total in the first place
2: well you know so you say tomato I say do something in and the Tony the Tiger
1: Frosted Flakes Bowl or wherever they went which they lost by the way
0: they're not 500 <laughs> <laughs> so diving back into the COVID-19 discussion what is one thing you're looking forward to seeing the Gators work on in summer practices, tackling tackling in unison.
2: Perfect (laughs) uh, tackling, particularly when it comes to mobile quarterbacks. I'm not going to say I'm not worried about John Reese Plumlee uh, at Ole Miss because we don't do well against quarterbacks that can run Uh, Kentucky. If Terry Wilson is back last time Kentucky was in the swamp, they went wild both with Terry Wilson and with Benny Snell. Georgia last year couldn't get a tackle, particularly on third down. So I would say it, it would be 1A would be tackling, and 1B would be third down efficiency, third down defensive efficiency.
1: Yep. Tackling, I mean, Casey said it, tackling has got to be the top issue that this program works on in summer ball. And it's, and it's the number one thing I'm looking for when they take the field in September. I mean, people forget just how close to disaster the Gators came last year against Miami because they couldn't tackle anybody in that game, except for Miami's quarterback. But aside from Jared Williams, they couldn't tackle anybody that whole day. And if they lose that game, the whole season might have gone completely differently. So we're in a situation now where the team has gone all of January, all of February, all of March, all of April, all of May. They're going to go all of June. They're probably going to go most of, if not all of July, potentially part of August, without doing any tackling drills. And tackling is is one area of football where you kind of need to do live contact drills in order to get better at it. You can get around not being able to have contact drills in other areas of the sport. Like quarterbacks can throw a thousand footballs a day at hanging tires in their backyard. Uh, wide receivers can use cones and ladders to work on the crispness of their routes and they can do work on their footwork. Uh I mean, the defensive linemen can use those same inanimate objects to work on their pass rushing moves. But tackling is the one big thing you just can't simulate without going up against another live person. And without reps, your form can start to really suffer. And and we saw Florida have problems with that last year against the hurricanes, even after being able to do tackling drills all spring and summer. And now they don't have all those reps in their back pocket. So, yeah, tackling has got to be priority number one. The The only person we could tackle in the Miami game was their quarterback. Well, better him than nobody. But, yes, I will grant you that if there is to be a second top priority, third down defensive efficiency has to be up there. Just look at the Georgia game.
0: Yes, true.
2: But, yeah, tackling – and, honestly, I don't know if I have ever been more frustrated in a loss in a game that was winnable. And, again, I want to phrase that, in a loss in a game that was winnable. So, not Mizzou 2014, um, not at Alabama, any of the recent times we played them. But Georgia last year, when they went 12 for, I think – Neil, what what were they on third down? Was it twelve for? they were
1: twelve for eighteen.
2: Twelve. I mean, it, it was. I mean, they converted almost eighty percent of their third downs. I mean, that
1: was absolutely just stunning. That, and some of them were really long too. It wasn't like they were. all it was just one deep. of those
2: like, how in the world are they allowing? And you know, give Georgia credit. I mean, they they absolutely and one hundred percent planned around that. But when they realized that we weren't going to stop them on third down in any way, shape, or form. And that's on Grantham. That's on – it's really all around. So Georgia was 12 for 18 on third down. We were two for nine.
1: Yeah, that's the difference in the game. Well, that and Kager catching the ball that hit the ground, but yeah. Well, and and, and something else. I I, I think the statistic in the last 21
2: Florida-Georgia games, the team that rushes the most wins the game.
1: Georgia had 119 rushing yards. We had 21. And it's pretty hard to lose a rushing battle if your opponent doesn't know how to tackle you.
0: Yeah, it's very telling. So I, I, I don't think I can agree with you guys more. I think tackling is going to be an issue. I think we're going to see one of the more higher-scoring Gator teams this year for multiple reasons. Uh, and I think one of those reasons will be the opponents of the Gators won't have that tackling time. Uh, that we usually see during the spring tackling drills and the, the Oklahomas and, and all
1: that that goes on. And that is a good point you raised, Dustin. The tackling thing cuts both ways. Florida's going to have to worry about it, but so will their opponents. And Florida's got some really
0: shifty athletes on the field. So the defense might be very frustrating this coming season, especially early on, but I also think the, the offense is going to be very fun to watch. But one, one thing I really want to see the Gators work on is I want to see them continuing to gel on the offensive line. I know that it appears that with everything that's come together so far with the offensive line, I think that we'll, we'll finally have a season where right from the start they're going to gel and they're going to do well, but it still remains to be seen. I think
1: one issue that a lot of Gator fans are worried about is will the lack of continuity hurt the Gators results-wise. I I don't think anyone's going to, in their right mind, tell you that, no, it's no big deal. They'll just come back and pick up right where they left off and there'll be no rust. I don't think that's realistic for anyone to think. But I don't think that the time off is going to hurt Florida in the sense that it's going to cost them a game. I, I don't think... It's going to hurt them more than it hurts other teams, as we discussed earlier, because other teams have more of a learning curve and more room to grow than Florida does, relatively speaking. So, yeah, I mean, someone might miss a block. Someone might miss an assignment on defense because of a lack of familiarity and a lack of reps. But I I just don't see it being something that hurts the Gators in the win-loss column.
0: At the end of the day, as everybody has said, we're just going to have to wait and see. That's pretty much all we've got in terms of this episode for the in all kinds of weather forecast. But before we sign off, I believe Neil has a few more things to say. Go for it, Neil.
1: Yeah, so before we sign off on this episode, I think it'll be fun to start a new tradition of just reading some of the tweets that we've gotten In regards to the previous episode of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast, we mentioned in episode zero that we want this to be an interactive deal, and we want everyone to tweet us their thoughts, and a few people have taken advantage of that opportunity and have done so. And one tweet that we got which struck me was from Harvey Mushman at Southard Street, who said, just listen to episode zero on Apple. I agree with you on Mike White, but it got me thinking about the bigger picture when you mentioned Ron Zook. Zook, Champ, and White are all cut from the same cloth. It made me wonder about succession planning at UF. He would go on to reply to that tweet and continue by saying, It makes me wonder if the problem is deeper than just having big shoes to fill. It also made me wonder about what an AD like Strickland can do to get ahead of a problem like this. The key with this is you only get so many shots at it. There's only, there are only so many times that you get to hire a coach in any sport. And there are even fewer opportunities to hire a coach to replace a legend because those only come around so often. So, I mean, think about it. Florida's had Tim Walton since 2008 or 2007, I mean. They've had Kevin O'Sullivan since 2008. And they had Spurrier for a dozen years. They had Billy Donovan for two decades so those are four of the greatest coaches to ever walk the University of Florida campus, and they all stayed for over a decade. So most ADs don't last that long. So it, it's not like there's an abundance of reps that you get, or you don't get a lot of practice in making this move. So I empathize that it's very difficult to do that on. On top of the fact that there are only so many legendary coaches out there and that you have to do your research in order to figure out which of them is going to actually pan out for your school. That said, I do think it is considered best practice for every AD to always keep a running list of potential replacements for coaches in every sport. Just in case something happens the next day, maybe the coach gets a serious medical diagnosis or maybe the coach just hops ship and goes for a better job for many better jobs in Florida but maybe they want to go closer to home or where they grew up or to their alma mater or something like that and it can always happen at any given moment so as a responsible AD you need to be proactive with this and always keep a running list of potential replacements and always continue to do your research and continue to update that list with the most up-to-date information as possible. So definitely an interesting observation there by Harvey. We... Definitely appreciate you getting involved in the discussion. As we mentioned, we do want this to be an interactive platform, and so we encourage all of you listening to this podcast to get involved as well. Simply tweet us at IAKOWForecast, and one of your tweets just might be read on a future show. Next up, we need to shout out our partner organizations. The first of these is the Gator Good Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that specializes in sending underprivileged and special needs children to the swamp for their first ever Gator football game. You can learn more by going to Twitter and then going to at the Gator good. And if you have a story or if you know someone who has a story that you think is worthy of consideration, feel free to message us. The second of these organizations is Fetch 352. In the midst of this global pandemic, we understand that you may not feel comfortable going into crowded places. To get things done anymore. So, Fetch352 will fetch it for you. You can go to fetch352.com to learn more. And last but not least, we would like to remind everybody that we do have a pair of guests booked on future episodes of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast that we are very excited about having. The first of these is former Gator All American offensive lineman Shannon Snell, who you probably know from his relationship ribs, or if not from that, from any of the endless amount of good that he has done in the Gainesville and North Central Florida communities. And we are going to talk to him about his career at Florida and all the success he had with the Gators, but we're also going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on in the country right now. Because he is someone who we feel is highly qualified to be a voice of reason on what we all agree is a very sensitive topic and we're, we are Gator fans first and foremost. Sports are absolutely what we're here for, but we also need to learn to respect and accept each other and accept each other's differences. And if we can't do that, then we can't really have sports. Second, we have Cash Daniel, the former Kentucky linebacker who made waves twisting the ankle of Florida quarterback Kyle Trask. Now again, cannot be stated enough times that we do not condone what he did to our quarterback, but... We are, first and foremost, interested in being fair and unbiased. And part of that means that we're going to give him a chance to tell his side of the story. So you may not agree with it. You you probably won't. But we do feel it is in the interest of fairness to let him come on and and tell his side. So we are not exactly sure when those two episodes will be. But they will be happening at some point in the not-so-distant future. So stay tuned for that.
0: All right, Deal. Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, it is so great that we're partnered with two incredible organizations. And I I just want to say this. So coming from three white guys, we're not going to claim that we understand even half of what the black community is going through. We're not going to act like we know what we're talking about. We're not going to act like we can discuss these topics and that's why it's so important that we bring on people like Snell who has has truly seen the thick of things and we're here in part to listen. You know, we want to learn, we want to listen, we want to be there for people who are in need and who are struggling. And you know this is this is a struggle that that we should all share. We should we should be able to sit down and empathize and sympathize with with our with our friends with our with our co-workers with the people that are in our lives um that 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 might have a different skin color this is so important and i and i really hope that that uh we can really have a good time in that next episode and and having great conversation with with snell so let's 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 do it like this two down and hopefully many many more to come again my name is Dustin Smith, along with Casey Hampton, and Neil Schulman, And we thank each and every one of you for listening to the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you all again very soon. And as always, go Gators. Thanks, everybody. Go, Gator. go Gators.